Sports Island is a complete sports podcast covering all major news and topics from across the PGA Tour, NFL, NBA, NHL, MLB, and NCAA. This podcast focuses on sports only, as political, racial, and social issues are not discussed. If you are a sports fan and are looking to stay up to date on all of the major news and topics from across the major sports, then Sports Island is truly your getaway destination. You're listening to the Sports Island Podcast with your host, Rick Mitchell. And now, the Sports Island Podcast. Hey everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. This is version 91 of the show, and it is certainly a good one for you. We had quite a week in sports uh, since the last episode, another very exciting football weekend uh, between college football, which never ceases to disappoint, as well as another wacky and wild NFL Sunday with some improbable comebacks, and we'll get into all of that. Uh, Major League Baseball uh, is quickly winding down their season. Playoff races are tightening up, and we'll dive into those. And uh, we have a pretty spectacular golf tournament this weekend uh, that we're going to preview. And that's actually where we're going to start is the PGA Tour. All right. This past weekend's tournament was the Fortinet Championship. All right. That was at the Silverado Resort and Spa, the North Course, which was in Napa, California. Par 72, distance 7,123 yards. All right. This was the very first tournament of the 2022-2023 PGA Tour season. Okay. So we previewed that uh, on last week's episode. The field itself, I mentioned, wasn't really great. Uh, A lot of the top players in the world. Uh, aside from the ones that have jettisoned over to the Live Golf Tour, uh, we're preparing for the President's Cup, and uh, we'll get into that shortly. But um, it still didn't mean that it wasn't good golf, right? We, we had some pretty good golf this weekend. It was competitive. Um, some drama at the end. Uh, Max Homa and Danny Willett, they were in the final group uh, on Sunday, and they approached the 72nd hole, all right? That is the final hole, the 18th hole in the fourth round. And uh, Danny Willett had a one-shot lead over Max Homa, okay? And it was a par five. And uh, Max Homa, his third shot was off the green, all right? So uh, he basically... Needed something to happen. The best he was looking at, you you know, realistically, uh, he'd have had to chip in for birdie or chip it on and then one putt for par. Danny Willett uh, landed his ball on the green uh, in three and had a relatively easy putt and just put on a horrendous display of putting uh, in which he got a three-putt bogey on the final hole uh, to drop him down a shot. Well, remember what I told you, Max Homa, off the green in three. He decides that now's the perfect time to chip in off the green. So he ended up chipping in, holing out from off the green for a, a birdie four. Uh, that two-shot swing was actually enough to give Max Homa the victory here at the Fortinet Championship with a score of 16 under par. Now, Max Homa actually won this tournament last year to start the season, so he defended his title uh, here at the Fortinet Championship. So just some some serious drama uh, on that final hole. So Max Homa is your winner at 16 under par. Uh, He played really good golf. He actually opened with a a 7 under 65, uh, followed that with a 5 under 67, played even par around a 72 on Saturday and then shot a 4-under 68 on Sunday. Danny Willett, uh, with that bogey on 18, dropped to solo second at 15-under par. Uh, He opened with the 68, followed that up with a spectacular uh, 8-under 64 on Friday. He also shot even par 72 on Saturday, and then uh, closed with a... 3-under 69 on Sunday. And again, just that one-shot difference there on 18. Uh, Third place was Taylor Montgomery, 
uh, not really a, a name you would recognize. He was at 13 under par. Uh, ben On was tied for fourth along with Justin Lauer. Now, nothing really noteworthy of On. They both finished at 12 under par. Um, but Justin Lauer, he opened this thing at 9 under 63. Just came out guns blazing. He was your leader of uh, the tournament after the first round. He followed that up with a 1 under 71 uh, 2-under 69 on 3-under uh, 69 on Saturday, and then open, uh, closed rather on Sunday with a 1-over 73. So he kind of fell apart the longer the tournament went on. But uh, there was a three-way tie for six, that 11-under par. Some names you'll recognize. Nick Taylor, Ricky Fowler, Sahith Thigala, Brendan, uh, Brendan Todd was 10-under along with Harris English and Davis Thompson. All right, so Taylor, Fowler, and Thigala were at 11-under, uh, which was T6, and then Brendan Todd, Harris English, and Davis Thompson were T9 at 10-under. So there were some names that you would recognize there, but again, just you know, all the big-name players um, were uh, basically already uh, preparing for the President's Cup now. Uh, after the victory there at the Fortinet Championship, Max Homa took a flight from Napa, California, all the way across the country to Charlotte, North Carolina. Okay, he, he didn't land in Charlotte until 2 in the morning. But when he arrived, he was greeted by uh, Team USA Captain Davis Love III. And uh, that brings us to this weekend's event, which is the President's Cup. All right, this is a very, very unique and interesting uh, tournament. It's um, for the pride of your country. Uh, the President's Cup is at the Quail Hollow Country Club, which is in Charlotte, North Carolina. It's a par 71. The distance is 7,571 yards, so a pretty long course. Uh, the, there's a stretch on this course called the Green Mile. It's on the back nine. It's holes 13 through 15. Very difficult to navigate. It's going to play an integral part of the matches. Now, the on the PGA Tour schedule, the Wells Fargo Championship is normally played here at Quail Hollow, but this past season, it was not played at Quail Hollow. They moved uh, locations simply so they could prep for this President's Cup. So I would fully expect the Quail Hollow Country Club to be in top-notch, pristine condition. Um, they've had you know, a year to get it ready for this, this tournament. So now the way that this works, the president's cup, uh, it is team USA versus the international team. And that's made up from guys, uh, from different countries, right? International non us. The uh, team USA captain is Davis love the third, um, his six captains picks, uh, well, so you have each team has 12 golfers on it, all right? Six of them automatically qualified based on their uh, performance this past PGA Tour season. The six automatic qualifiers for Team USA were Scotty Scheffler, Patrick Cantlay, Justin Thomas, Xander Shoffley, Tony Finau, and Sam Burns. And the captains got to pick six others uh, of their own choosing. So the captain's picks for Team USA were Colin Morikawa, Jordan Spieth, Max Homa, Billy Horschel, Cameron Young, and Kevin Kistner. That is a very, very formidable team. Uh, you have PGA Tour wins all over the place in this thing from this past year. Uh, Scheffler had four wins. Cantley had a couple. JT won another major uh, PGA Championship. Xander Schauffele. He went on a streak where he won three events in a row. Tony Finau won back-to-back -back events. Sam Burns had a couple. I think he had three wins this year. Uh, and then Morikawa, uh, Jordan Spieth, he won. Max Homa just won this past weekend. Uh, Cameron Young was runner-up at the Open Championship or close, you know, right there all, all day long, all weekend long. And then you have some some older veteran presence with Billy Horschel and Kevin Kistner. So Team USA is absolutely loaded. Um, you have just two of the two of the four major winners from this past year are in that field 
uh, with Scheffler and uh, Justin Thomas, right? So Team USA is loaded. Uh, the international team, their captain is Trevor Immelman, and his team consists of the six automatic qualifiers, which were Hideki Matsuyama, Sung J M, Adam Scott, Mito Pereira, Corey Connors, and Tom Kim. All right, now his six captain's picks were K.H. Lee, Taylor Pendrith, Sebastian Munoz, Christian Bezadenhout, Siwoo Kim, and Cam Davis. All right, so you got some guys from Asia, got some guys from Europe, got a couple from Canada, and one from Chile. All right, one from Australia as well. Cam Davis and Adam Scott, two from Australia. All right, so you can see this team is very um, diverse. Um, a lot of good golfers on that side too. Um, some younger golfers, all right, not as experienced on the PGA Tour as Team USA. The average age for the teams, Team USA's average age is 29 and a half compared to 28.8 years of age for the international team. So the international team's a tad bit younger on average age. Uh, but this is where the big difference is. The official world golf ranking for Team USA, the average official world golf ranking is 12, right? The average official world golf ranking for the international team is 48. That is a huge difference. I mean, you have Team USA has, you know, five guys inside the top 10 in the world rankings, right? So, um, international team does not have that all right so um, if you're just simply looking at this on paper team usa is going to absolutely blow the international team out of the water but golf is played on the course and not on paper just like every other game every other sport so uh, the format you're probably wondering what's different about this why it's a team type setting so the format for this thing uh, it consists of 30 matches played over the span of four days. It's a Thursday through Sunday tournament, just like normal. There are 18 team matches. You have nine matches using a foursome uh, you know, format and nine matches of a four-ball format. And then there's 12 single matches uh, on Sunday. So basically, your foursomes or alternate shot, as they're called. Uh, the foursomes, you have two two-man teams, right? You have a two-man team from each side, right? Team USA, two-man team, and an international two-man team grouped as a foursome, all right? Uh, they play one ball off the tee. They alternate shots, okay? So whoever hits the tee shot would then hit the third shot. You know, you, you hit... One, three, and five. The other player hits shots two and four, or what you know, however it ends up. So they alternate shots uh, each team until the ball is holed, and the team with the lowest score on that hole wins the hole, and whoever wins more holes gets wins that match. Right out of eighteen, the four ball format. Each of the team members they play in two man teams again. Um, well. Two, two man groups basically for for four people right two USA players two international players in a group of four they all play their own ball the entirety of the round and the lowest they basically play individually but the lower score for the team is recorded for that hole so, and whoever wins the hole wins that point so if if uh, team USA birdies and international team pars, then Team USA would win that hole. They use the lower of the two scores for each team member, if that makes sense. Pretty cool uh, format there. It's 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 the foursomes are harder because it's alternate shot. You don't get to hit every shot like you do in four ball. Four ball is a little easier because they play their own shot, right? And so it's they still communicate with each other on what they think they need to hit club wise, what their distance is, all that stuff. So all matches are worth one point apiece for a total of 30 points. There are no playoffs, all right? Each team receives a half a point if the match is tied after 18 holes, okay? So that's how they come up with a, a total of 30 points. And whoever at the end of those um, 30 matches has more points wins team usa or international team right so it's it's a it's a country award basically 
Now, I mentioned Team USA captain Davis Love III. Since he is the host captain, uh, this the location alternates, right? So uh, this tournament is in the United States. Uh, the next President's Cup, I believe they're every two years. Uh, the next President's Cup will be somewhere overseas. Could be Europe, could be Asia, could be Australia. It just rotates locations every other year, right? So Team USA is home. So Captain Davis Love decided to begin the match uh, on Thursday with foursomes, all right? So uh, the way that this is going to work, on Thursday, you're going to have five foursome matches. On Friday, you will have five four-ball matches. Saturday is a busy day. It's the only day in which there's multiple matches, like multiple types of matches being played. Saturday, in the morning, you're going to have four foursome matches, and in the afternoon, you're going to have four four-ball matches, all right? A lot of golf on Saturday, and then on Sunday, you have 12 singles matches, all right? And that is where one golfer from Team USA goes one uh, head-to-head against one golfer from the international team. They get paired up. Uh, basically, the captains come up with the order, and uh, they they get paired up based on their each captain's order, and uh, they play, and whoever has the better uh, wins more holes at the end of 18 gets one point for that singles match. So there's a lot of points to be handed out on Sunday. Um, that's probably the most fun day because it's head-to-head. It's, um, you know, mano-a-mano, so to speak. But, um, yeah, it's, it's going to be a great weekend. This is actually the 14th uh, edition of the President's Cup. Team USA has won the last eight in a row, so they're looking to win their ninth ever President's Cup, uh, or ninth in a row, I should say. Uh, Team USA actually has an all-time record in this thing of 11-1-1, all right? So they've they've won it 11 times, lost once, and tied once, okay? So Team USA's track record in this thing is very good, and nothing that I see on paper with the roster construction of what Team USA has this year uh, gives me any indication that Team USA is going to lose. Um, in fact, uh, I, I don't think this is going to be particularly close. Uh, it might start off close, but um, you know you have some guys on each team. I think Max Homa is the only Team USA golfer that just played this past weekend, and of course he won. Uh, there were a couple guys on uh, international team that that played this last week. One of them being Hideki Matsuyama. So. Um, he's probably the best player on the international team. So we'll have to see. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, home soil, Team USA, uh, I, I like it. I, I like Team USA winning this thing big. Um, I, I don't think it'll be particularly close by the time we get to Sunday in those singles matches. But uh, I didn't tune in at all to the Fortinet Championship uh, during the live feed. Uh, football was on, so I, I didn't watch any of the Fortinet Championship. But this weekend, uh, you can absolutely bet that I will be watching as much of the President's Cup as I can from Thursday morning all the way to Sunday afternoon. I'm going to try and uh, I'm going to get some football in too, but I will definitely be keeping an eye on the President's Cup. And if you've not watched the President's Cup before, uh, I certainly would uh, tune into that because it's it's going to be dramatic, uh, competitive fun and uh it's it's a cool uh, it's a cool way to play golf uh, with the team for the alternate shot the four ball uh those are cool formats um and it's just it's really cool to see um you know the team aspect of it cheering each other on and the crowd getting into it the crowd's going to play a huge role uh, since it's here in the United States uh, you can bet that uh team USA will be getting as much noise as possible when they when they walk onto the course, and uh, there'll be some boos and some heckling for the international team. So uh, it is going to be quite the scene there in Charlotte this weekend. So I certainly suggest that you tune into that because I definitely will be, and we will talk about how it all went down on next week's episode. But we'll move on to college football, and uh, we are now in week four of college football. Uh, Each team has played three games thus far. And just another 
insane, wild week uh, of college football. There were some very good games on this week and uh, some pretty pretty intense um, football going on. Um, th- there's another just, like I said, we'll get to one, some one of the exciting games in just a minute, but uh, we're going to do a, our t- uh, AP Top 25 rankings, and we're going to switch it up. Last week, we went from 25 down to 1. This week, we're going to start off and go 1 down to 25 uh, because there's some teams in the uh, that aren't in the top 25 that I do want to mention. So uh, the, the number one team in college football uh, for the second week in a row is the Georgia Bulldogs. All right, they're 3-0. and uh, They just absolutely beat down uh, South Carolina this weekend. And in doing so, quarterback Stetson Bennett became the first player uh, first college player since Patrick Mahomes in 2016 to open a season with three straight games of 250 plus yards passing plus a rushing touchdown in each of those games. So he's been playing on another level. Uh, I don't think he's finished any of the three games that Georgia has played so far just because their leads have been uh, so great that they, he hasn't had to play very much of the second half. Um, Georgia, to me, very clearly the top team. Um, I, they're picking up right where they left off last year as national champions. Uh, the number two team in the country is the Alabama Crimson Tide. Uh, they won this week, uh, this past week. Easy game against uh, Louisiana Monroe. Uh, not much of a challenge there. Um, that, those two, Georgia and Alabama, are certainly on a collision course for the SEC championship game, it appears. Number three in the country, Ohio State. Uh, the Buckeyes um, had a win this past weekend. They got a tough one this week uh, at home against Wisconsin, so that'll be interesting to see. Um, uh, that offense, uh, they didn't play anybody this past week either, but that offense, when they get rolling, uh, they are tough to stop. Number four, uh, the Michigan Wolverines. All right, They have yet to play anybody uh, worth anything. They've put up 50 points in all three of their games, 50-plus points in all three of their games. They just haven't been challenged. Uh, Their game this week, they start their Big Ten schedule this week against Maryland. Uh, Maryland is not exactly what I would consider a challenge, so uh, expect Michigan to roll again this weekend. Number five, the Clemson Tigers. All right, they're 3-0. They've looked pretty good. They have a decent game this week against Wake Forest. So uh, that'll be that'll be interesting there. Number six, uh, the Oklahoma Sooners. All right, they are three and zero. They had a bit of a scare in week two, uh, but they rebounded uh, in week three to spank Nebraska. So they're uh, currently sitting at number six. The Big Twelve begins their conference play this weekend. Uh, number seven, the USC Trojans. Uh, they're steadily moving up. And I think by the time it's all said and done this season, uh, they'll probably be even higher than they are now. Uh, Pac-12 also begin. We begin conference play this week, if you haven't noticed. Uh, number eight, University of Kentucky. This is very surprising. Um, yes, they're an SEC team. Yes, they're a basketball school. But damn, their football team has been playing some ball this year. Uh, they are 3-0. and uh, They've looked really good. They beat um, Florida. Last week, I believe. Uh, so um, they're three and zero. They're looking really good. Um, so we'll we'll see how long it lasts there in the SEC. But uh, number nine, Oklahoma State Cowboys. Uh, they put a thumping down this last week. They're three and zero. They do not begin Big Twelve play this week. They have a powder puff game uh, against Arkansas Pine Bluff. So uh, expect Oklahoma State to win. Number 10, the Arkansas Razorbacks. Uh, They got a tough one. Um, They had a close game this past weekend. They almost lost, and I don't remember who they played, but it wasn't a very good team, Um, and they were losing for a long time. I think they were losing at halftime, losing into the third quarter uh, before they turned it on and finally won, but uh, they uh, go to College Station this weekend to play Texas A&M, so that's going to be a good game. Number 11, the Tennessee Volunteers. All right, they are... Uh, 3-0. and They've looked really good, too. Uh, they've put up some points in a couple of their games. They got a tough one this week at home against Florida, so that's a good game there. Number 12, North Carolina State. Uh, 
they're they've looked really good. Um, they beat Texas Tech this past weekend. That was an impressive win for them, albeit it was at home, but they still looked good doing it. Number thirteen, the Utah Utes. They're two and one. They're the highest ranked team with a loss uh, at number thirteen. So uh, they begin Pac twelve play again. Uh, this weekend. Number 14, Penn State. They're 3-0. and They moved up eight spots after their win, beatdown win over Auburn on the road at Jordan-Hare Stadium. That was very impressive. Um, you know, Penn State was the better team going in, but Auburn always plays well at home. Uh, and I just, I didn't expect Penn State to thump Auburn like they did. So that impressive win moved them up eight spots. Uh, so Penn State's number 14. Number 15, the Oregon Ducks. Um, they looked really good this past weekend. And, uh, you know, they they basically, they did to um, BYU what Georgia did to them. Uh, they just, they were in control the whole game. And uh, a good victory over BYU, a ranked BYU team. So, uh, Oregon moved up 10 spots. They were the biggest movers, uh, biggest positive movers in the rankings this week, up from 25 to 15. Ole Miss is number 16. They're 3-0. and um, You know, they they lost uh, Matt Corral last year, but they're uh, still picking up where they left off. Number 17, Baylor. Uh, they're 2-1. and one. Uh, They were... 17 last week, 17 this week. Uh, they begin Big 12 play in Ames this week at Iowa State. That's always an interesting place to play. Number 18, Washington Huskies. They're 3-0. and They clobbered Michigan State, uh, which I'll get to in a minute. Uh, they look good. They that they have a home field advantage for sure. That that game in Seattle was was loud, and, and Washington played really well. Number 19 is BYU. They're 2-1. and one. Their only loss was to Oregon this past weekend uh, in Eugene. Tough place to play. They didn't really look great, um, so they moved down seven spots. Number 20 is Florida. They're 2-1. and one. Uh, They have a date with Tennessee, like I mentioned, number 11. So that's going to be a ranked-on-ranked game this week. It's in Knoxville. Number 21 is Wake Forest. They're 3-0. and They got a tough one this week when they welcome in Clemson. All right, Clemson's number five. Uh, Clemson's traveling to Wake Forest, so that's another ranked matchup. Number 22 is my Texas Longhorns. They're 2-1. and one. Uh, They won. They, they beat UTSA, uh, doubled them up, and they still dropped down a spot in the rankings. So not really sure how that works, but... Uh, Texas is still in there. They open up against Texas Tech this weekend on the road. Very tough game there. Tough place to play. Number 23 is Texas A&M. Uh, they, this is a surprising. They they beat Miami, all right? Last week going into the game, Miami was number 13 in the country. Texas A&M was number 24. Texas A&M beats them 17-9, to I believe the score was. Uh, A&M was at home, but that victory, uh, ranked victory, only moved him up one spot, which, you know, I thought was rather surprising. But uh, they host Arkansas. Like I said, Arkansas is number 10. So that is the third uh, game this weekend between two top 25 teams. Number 24 is Pitt. Uh, they're 2-1. and one. Um, They... They play Rhode Island this weekend, so I would expect Pitt to continue uh, to be in the rankings. Number 25 is Miami. Uh, they're 2-1. and one. Uh, Like I said, they lost on the road this weekend at Texas A&M. Um, they dropped down 12 spots. They were the biggest movers in the negative direction after that loss, but somehow they're still in the top 25. Now, in the others receiving votes category, Michigan State uh, is, is the – Basically, the, if there was a number 26, it would be Michigan State. Um, now, I mentioned Michigan State. They went to Seattle to play the Washington Huskies, and they got their butts whooped. All right, Michigan State had looked really good their first two games, but they didn't play anybody. The first time they um, play somebody that's halfway decent, uh, they get trucked. So 
uh, Michigan State moved all the way out of the top 25. They were number 11, I think, going into this weekend, uh, and now they're out of the top 25. Florida State and Appalachian State. Okay, college game day was was at Appalachian State this weekend for their game against Troy. And that game was absolute banana land. Um, their last play of the game, uh, Appalachian State is down to Troy, all right, by a score. And they were on their own 47-yard line. So they had 53 yards, one play. They throw up this Hail Mary, and it is it bounces around, and it gets caught by an Appalachian State receiver who then runs it into the end zone from about five to seven yards. It was the wildest thing I've ever seen um, to beat Troy. Now, before that play had been run, uh, ESPN... Uh, Power Index had given Troy a 99% chance of winning that game, 99.9% chance of winning that game when that play was snapped. And Appalachian State somehow finds a way to uh, pull that off uh, just a week after they beat Texas A&M in College Station. So uh, Appalachian State, man, they're they're the third highest team receiving votes that's not in the top 25. So um, just thought that was interesting. But that, that capped off just a wild, wild weekend in college football. Um, you know, it's basically like hold on to your seat because you don't know what's coming. You know, you know college football is going to bring it every week. We have three games this weekend of teams, uh, both of which are in the top 25. So, Uh, It's going to be another good, uh, exciting weekend in college football, and we will check back in next week to see how the top 25 looks. But we'll move on to the National Football League and uh, do a standings update here. We're two weeks into the season. This weekend is week three in the NFL. Uh, We kind of did a partial standings update uh, after last week uh, when I did my predictions for the season. I picked uh, Minnesota and Buffalo in the Super Bowl with Buffalo winning. So um, Minnesota had a rough game this weekend. But uh, week two was comeback Sunday in the NFL. We had three amazing comebacks uh, all in the fourth quarter. Uh, The first one was the New York Jets and the Cleveland Browns. Uh, The New York was down 30-17. to 13 points they were down with one minute and 33 seconds left in the fourth quarter, all right? Uh, Nick Chubb had ran a touchdown in uh, to put Cleveland up 30-17, to leaving a minute and a half on the clock, all right? Uh, Instead of taking some time draining the clock, he decided to score, and ultimately the Jets, uh, in true miracle fashion, ended up scoring two touchdowns in that final minute and 33 seconds to win 31 to 30. So um, just an incredible comeback by the Jets. And then uh, we had a, another improbable comeback, Miami Dolphins and Baltimore Ravens, all right? Miami was down 35 to 14 at the start of the fourth quarter, all right? And they went on to score 28 unanswered points in the fourth quarter. All right, and uh, that one, uh, Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill both caught touchdowns over 40 yards. Uh, Tyreek Hill had one over 40, one over 60. They both finished with uh, 11 catches over 190 yards and two touchdowns apiece. First time in NFL history that two receivers on the same team have had that stat line. Uh, Incredible comeback um, for the Dolphins. They ended up winning uh, 45, uh, or 42, 35 in that one. So just a insane comeback by Miami down 28 points or scoring 28 points in the fourth quarter. And then the final one, uh, was the Arizona Cardinals and Las Vegas Raiders. The Cardinals were stuck in the mud. All right. They were down 20 to nothing with eight and a half minutes left in the third quarter. All right. So they still had a little bit of time but they just couldn't get anything going. They ended up tying the game with no time left. Uh, Kyler Murray uh, had a nice touchdown run uh, with no time left. It was on a scramble play, basically, with no time left on the clock. 
the two-point conversion. Uh, they needed it to tie, and uh, Murray ran around and threw a beautiful pass to A.J. Green in the back of the end zone for the two-point conversion. So that got the game tied. It went into overtime, and Arizona ended up recovering a Hunter Renfro fumble and running it back uh, 60 yards for the touchdown. So uh, Arizona ended up winning in overtime. It was the this week, week two of the NFL season, with those three comebacks, it was the first time since 1992 that three teams overcame a 13-point fourth-quarter deficit all in the same week. So very impressive stuff there. Just a wild weekend. And in addition, I mentioned the New York Jets won. The Jacksonville Jaguars, Detroit Lions, and the New York Giants all won this past weekend as well. And it was the first time in 3,934 days, roughly 10.7 years, that the Jets, the Giants, the Jaguars, and the Lions all won on the same day. So it has been a hot minute since we have seen all four of those teams win in the same week. All right, so... Like I said, very uh, <clears throat> very exciting and entertaining week of football. Uh, standings updates, we're not going to spend too much time because there's only been two games played. Uh, AFC East, Miami Dolphins and Buffalo Bills are both 2-0, and all right? Uh, Miami looks really good. Their offense uh, might just be the very best offense in the league, maybe behind Buffalo. Uh, Buffalo's 2-0. and They've demolished uh, both opponents that they've played. Uh, They're plus 55 point differential through two games. That's just insane. Uh, Last week I picked them to win the Super Bowl, and I don't see anything that's going to indicate otherwise at this moment. Uh, Josh Allen's going to win the MVP uh, if he continues what he's doing, Um, but Miami is going to make the playoffs. I, I do not doubt that for a second. Those two teams actually here in week three, Miami plays Buffalo, so uh, buckle up for that one. New England and the Patriots and the New York Jets are both one and one. All right, Patriots had a good win over the Steelers this past week, and then the Jets, of course, their improbable comeback uh, against um, who was it that they uh, Cleveland, right? So uh, Jets are one and one. Patriots one and one. All right, so plenty of stuff going on in that division. The AFC North. Uh, this thing. It's just a slugfest. It's always a sl- it's going to be that all year round, right? The Pittsburgh Steelers, Baltimore Ravens, and Cleveland Browns, all three of those teams lost this past weekend, two of them in heartbreaking fashion. Uh, they're all 1-1. One and one. The only team in this division without a win that's 0-2, ironically enough, is the Cincinnati Bengals, who are the reigning AFC champions. So, um I would not have penciled that in, especially since Cincinnati went down, came down to Dallas this past week and played a beat-up Dallas team that somehow ended up winning. More on that in a minute. But, yeah, Steelers, Ravens, Browns. That's I didn't think the Browns were, were going to be real competitive uh, without Deshaun Watson, but they have shown that they at least can compete. Um, I, I don't know we're going to get more than one. We might get two playoff teams from that division simply because the AFC South, um, which is the next division we're going to talk about, is not very good. <clears throat> all right. Um, the Jacksonville Jaguars are leading this division at 1-1. One and one, All right. They actually shut out the Indianapolis Colts this past weekend for the third time in the last five years. So for whatever reason, Indianapolis has a hard time playing Jacksonville. But Jacksonville is your division leader at the moment at 1-1. One and one. Both the Texans and the Colts are 0-1-1. Remember, those two teams tied back in Week 1, and they both lost their games in Week 2. So uh, both of those teams with zero wins are tied for second in the division. And then the Tennessee Titans, the reigning number one seed in the AFC from last year, is 0-2, and they look absolutely atrocious. Derrick Henry looks slow. Uh, He can't get anything going. Ryan Tannehill has nobody to throw to. Uh, that team is in trouble. Um, I, you know, they they play in the AFC South, so you know anything could happen. But my goodness, the Titans look absolutely brutal at the moment. And then the AFC West, Kansas City Chiefs are up top at two and zero. 
Patrick Mahomes looks like he's on another level this year. Um, you know, they're just going to be, they lost Tyree Kill, but I think they may have gotten better on offense um, with Marquez Valdez, Scantling, and Juju Smith-Schuster. Of course, Travis Kelsey's still doing what he's doing. The Chiefs look very tough. I, I can see a Kansas City-Buffalo rematch uh, for the AFC Championship here this year. Los Angeles Chargers uh, and the Denver Broncos are both 1-1. One and one. Of course, the Chargers lost to the Chiefs this past week on Thursday Night Football. Uh, but that was a very good game, close game. Chargers scored late to make it interesting. Uh, the game was in Kansas City, <clears throat> but the Chargers aren't going anywhere either. They're definitely going to be in the playoffs. Justin Herbert, uh, his name is in the MVP conversation this year as well. So uh, I wouldn't want to play the Chargers, that's for sure. And then Denver, um, they fell apart in week one against Seattle, but they rebounded this past week and um, beat Houston. So uh, they're one and one. Russell Wilson does not look good in that offense. Nathaniel Hackett has made a couple of very questionable coaching decisions. And uh, Denver just really kind of looks like a, a mess right now, to be honest with you. And then the Las Vegas Raiders are last at 0-2. Uh, kind of surprising there. But uh, that division is going to be brutal uh, and very competitive. Over in the NFC, the NFC East, the Philadelphia Eagles uh, and the New York Giants. That's right. The New York Giants are 2-0. and All right. Philly had a big win over Minnesota on Monday night. They looked very good in doing so. Uh, Jalen Hurts had a magnificent game on Monday. He joined Michael Vick from 2010 as the only Philadelphia QBs with uh, 300 yards passing and two rushing touchdowns in a game. And he's the only player in NFL history to have 300 passing yards, multiple rushing touchdowns, and an 80% completion percentage in the same game. So uh, Jalen Hurts is coming into his own this year, uh, and that Eagles team looks very good. Uh, Giants, I'm not completely sold on them. Uh, Brian Dayball, the coach, has done a great job. Um, he's he's making the right things happen. So uh, we'll see. They play the Dallas Cowboys on Monday Night Football this week. Um, speaking of those Cowboys, the Cowboys and the Washington Commanders are both one and one. Get this one. The NFC East, which has always been a laughingstock uh, of the NFC for the last you know handful of years, uh, have the winningest record. The total division record for the NFC East is 6-2. and two. Uh, The only other division that's close to that, well, the NFC West and the NFC North both have four wins as a division. NFC East has six, so they are technically the best division in the NFC through two games, all right? Now, the Cowboys, um, yeah, I'm just as surprised as you are that they beat the Bengals. They were not supposed to win that game. I had absolutely zero hope going into that game that we would win. Uh, with Cooper Rush as a starting quarterback, but you know what? He looked pretty damn good, and so did Noah Brown. Uh, he, Noah Brown's becoming the number one receiver, uh, at least for Cooper Rush. So I'm kind of a believer now. Um, if they're going to play like that, that defense can beat anybody. Uh, the Cowboys' defense might be one of the top three or four units in the league, and their next two games are against the New York Giants this week and then Washington Commanders in week four. So two very winnable games, even with Cooper Rush at quarterback. If the Cowboys can come out of the first four weeks, three and one, uh, without Dak Prescott for three of those games, I mean, my goodness. Um, that's It'll be in large part to their defense, but um, nonetheless, hey, a win's a win. So I'll take whatever we can get. Uh, over in the NFC North, Minnesota Vikings. They're my pick to uh, win the NFC this year. Uh, this whole division is one and one. I'll just start off with that. Uh, Vikings looked really good in week one against Green Bay, but they looked really bad in week two against Philly. So, um, you know, Dalvin Cook really hasn't been going for them. Uh, they've given him a lot of looks, but not uh, just game script kind of got out of hand, but they need, they're going to need more from Dalvin Cook. Uh, Green Bay Packers, uh, they thumped the Bears on Sunday night football this past week after losing to Minnesota in week one. Um, but Aaron Rodgers became the fifth player in NFL history to throw for 450 career touchdown passes, all right? So uh, he is moving up the list there. He's got a ways to go to get to number four. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Packers don't look great. Their running game looked really good. Aaron Jones was a monster on Sunday night, but uh, I still think the Vikings are a better team than the Packers. Uh, Detroit Lions, um, 
their rookie number two overall pick, Aiden Hutchinson, defensive end. He set the Lions' single-game rookie record with three sacks. Uh, he was all over the place, looked really good. Uh, Lions won this past week against Washington. And then the Chicago Bears. Uh, oh, my goodness. That offense, they have only attempted 28 passes in two games. Every other team in the NFL so far this year has at least 28 completions. So it has been uh, absolutely horrid for the Bears on offense. But uh, that division, we'll see. I think Minnesota's clearly the best team there. NFC South, uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, 2-0. They beat Dallas week one and had a tough win over New Orleans. Now, this game had a little miniature brawl. Of course, there's a history between Bucks wide receiver Mike Evans and Saints cornerback Marshawn Lattimore. Uh, those two got into it. Uh, Evans ended up basically crushing Lattimore, pushing him on the ground, ended up getting suspended for one game. So we will not see Mike Evans this week in week three. He is suspended. But the Buccaneers are 2-0. The New Orleans Saints are 1-1. Jameis Winston looked absolutely brutal this past week against Tampa. So uh, if he can turn that around, the Saints can can go really far. They didn't even have Alvin Kamara either. He sat out with a rib injury. He looks to come back this week. So uh, I don't think the Saints are going away. And then the Carolina Panthers and Atlanta Falcons. Those two teams are both 0-2. Uh, Panthers, Baker Mayfield's been an absolute poop show uh, for that team. Uh, and the Falcons are just the Falcons. They have, you know, they have two good players. They're both on offense. Um, they do have a good corner, but uh, rookie receiver Drake London really looking like he deserved every bit of that eighth overall pick that he was drafted at. Um, so, But those Carolina and Atlanta are going to have two of the top probably eight picks in the draft, so I wouldn't expect much uh, from either team this year. And then the NFC West, uh, all four teams in this division are also one and one. San Francisco 49ers, uh, oh boy. They lost quarterback Trey Lance on the second series of the game this past week. He ended up fracturing his ankle, uh, was facing the wrong way. Uh, he had to have surgery, so he is out for the year. All right, so big hit for San Francisco. They go to Jimmy Garoppolo now, which actually might make them more competitive. Now, I'm not sure how many teams you can say this for, but San Francisco lost their starting quarterback and may actually be a better team with their backup. Uh, and Garoppolo. So uh, stay tuned on that. George Kittle, who the hell knows when he's going to play. He's hurt all the time. Hasn't played in either of the first two games. So um, we'll see if he's out there in week three. Los Angeles Rams uh, finally got in the win column this week. Um, you know, don't count them out. Cooper Cup just proves to be an absolute machine. I don't think he's human. He had another 11 catches, over 100 yards, and two more touchdowns. Uh, I think uh, 17 out of his last 18 games, he's had like 100 yards or something. I, I read that stat. I'm like, this guy, all he does is get open and catch the ball. And defenses know that he's getting the ball, and he still gets the ball and um, and puts up numbers. So uh, Rams, they're back on track. Even though the Rams, through two games, have a minus 17 uh, point differential, which is uh, very surprising. Seattle Seahawks, not much going on there. They had a big win over Denver in week one, uh, but they looked like the Seattle we expected to see in week two. Uh, just an anemic offense, nothing really going. Um, so I, Seattle's probably going to be at the bottom of this division. Then Arizona, they're 1-1, one and one, but it is a miracle that they're 1-1. One and one. They should be 0-2. Oh um, some magic late by Kyler Murray and a lucky break in overtime gave them a uh, a win, so it took quite a bit to get that one win, and they did not look particularly good uh, at all in that game, and neither did they in week one against uh, Kansas City when they got thumped. Uh, so Cardinals have some issues for sure. Um, I'm not sure that they're going to be a playoff team if they keep this up. In fact, I can tell you they probably won't be uh, if they continue to play that poorly, but um, that's just how the standings look after two weeks. Like I said, it's week three. There's going to be a lot uh, a lot more excitement this week. So uh, I know I'll be tuned in. Of course, President's Cup is going to be on. So like I said, I'm going to kind of divide my attention between football and golf this week. But uh, we'll check back in next week and, and break down how week three went down.
But we'll move on to Major League Baseball, do a standings update here in the MLB. We have reached uh, pretty much the end of the season. We only got about two weeks left in the regular season. Most teams have played between 147 to 150 games, so that leaves roughly 12 to 15 games uh, per team for the remainder of the season. So uh, these division races, wild card races, uh, there's... um, they're coming down to the wire. Uh, things are going to get interesting uh, on both sides, both AL and NL. But we'll take a look and see how it looks as of now. Uh, in the National League, the Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, they've already clinched the National League West. They're 103-45. and 45. All right, 103-45. and 45. I've won eight out of their last ten. Uh, right now, they're definitely the odds-on favorite to win the World Series. Uh, and I don't see who... Uh, at the moment, is going to slow them down. Um, we can kind of discuss that once the playoffs arrive. But, boy, the Dodgers definitely look good. They, they're they on pace to win over 110 games. Uh, the second-place team in the National League, the New York Mets, they are the National League East leaders at the moment. They have officially clinched a playoff spot at 95-56. and 56. All right, they um, are... Pretty much, uh, I think, two games ahead of the Atlanta Braves. Um, but, yeah, Mets, again, look really good. I saw a stat on the Mets. They are 80-0 and this year when they take a lead into the ninth inning. So Edwin Diaz has been shutting it down. Um, if the Mets have a lead in the ninth, you can forget about it. Third place in the uh, National League at the moment is your NL Central leading St. Louis Cardinals. They're 87-62. and uh, They are... Miles ahead of the Milwaukee Brewers, uh, I can't believe that the Cardinals haven't clinched the division yet. But certainly by next week's episode, that will have happened. So Cardinals look like they're going to be uh, in the playoffs as a division winner. And then the three wild card teams in the National League at the moment: the first wild card teams, the Atlanta Braves. They have officially clinched a playoff spot at ninety three and fifty six. So. Last year's World Series champion is officially back into the playoffs this year. The division is still up for grabs between them and the New York Mets. So uh, they're two games behind the Mets. Um, Also have two games in hand. So, uh, you know, that division is still up for grabs. But Both of those teams will be in the playoffs. The second wildcard team is the San Diego Padres. They're 82-66. and They've won four in a row. So they're starting to play decent baseball. Uh, They are... Uh, one and a half games clear of the third place wild card team, which is the Philadelphia Phillies. Okay, Phillies are eighty and sixty-seven. They've lost five in a row. They're going the wrong direction, and now they only have a two-game lead on the Milwaukee Brewers, who are the first team out of a wild card spot. Okay, so the Brewers are seventy-nine and seventy, two games back of Philly. That final wild card spot is very much still up for grabs. Um, Milwaukee, in fact, is only three and a half games back of Atlanta. So um, the next team out of the wild card standings is the San Francisco Giants. They're nine and a half games back of Philly. I don't see them making nine and a half games up in the next 12 to 15. So you can probably go ahead and cross off the Giants. Uh, the the three, uh, Atlanta's in as a wild card team or a division winner. And if the New York Mets would be the other if Atlanta wins the division. So there's only two wild card spots up for grabs here in the National League at the moment, currently held by San Diego and Philadelphia. But Milwaukee's the only other team that could crash the party there. So two out of those three teams, the Padres, the Phillies, and the Brewers, two of those three will be your final two wild card teams. So we may have a clearer picture uh, by next week's episode. I did forget to mention uh, with the Atlanta Braves pitcher Spencer Strider became the first uh, Atlanta Braves uh, rookie in the modern era to reach 200 strikeouts in a single year. That kid has been absolutely phenomenal this year, and there is no sign of him slowing down anytime soon. So uh, watch out for him. Over in the American League, uh, this is a little less competitive currently at the moment as it sits now. It's looking a little more clear playoff picture, uh, at least uh, at the moment, right? So uh, the top overall team in the American League right now is the Houston Astros. They have officially clinched the American League West and won that division. They're 98-51. and 
Uh, they've won nine out of their last 10. Uh, they're definitely uh, the best team in the American League, or at least at the moment they are. Second place in the American League is your NL East leading New York Yankees. They're 89 and 58. Uh, Aaron Judge hit his 60th home run of the year uh, earlier this week, becoming only the sixth player in MLB history to have 60 homers in a single season. Dude has just been an absolute monster. That 60th home run came in the 147th game of the season, which is the third fastest all-time to reach 60 home runs out of those six players. So he's the third fastest. He's currently on pace for 65 home runs. And he also currently leads the American League in batting average, home runs, and RBIs, which would be a triple crown if he were to finish the season like that. So uh, very impressive year for uh, Aaron Judge. Certainly probably going to win the AL MVP. Uh, but third place in the American League at the moment is the AL Central leading Cleveland Guardians. They're 81-67. and 67. They've won eight out of their last ten. They really turned the Jets on over this last week. And uh, they currently lead the division uh, by four or four and a half games over the Chicago White Sox and uh, even more so in the Minnesota Twins. So we'll get to them in a second. But the Guardians are central division leaders at the moment. Your three wild card teams in the American League right now. The first wild card team is the Toronto Blue Jays at 84 and 64. Uh, they're two and a half games uh, ahead of the Tampa Bay Rays, who are the second wild card team at 82 and 66. The Rays are only one half game in front of the Seattle Mariners, who are the third wild card team at 81 and 66. So uh, I think Toronto's in. That lineup continues to hit. I mean, they just scored 18 runs again the other night. It was the second or third time this year they've scored 18 runs in a game. Uh, that lineup is there to stay. Toronto will be uh, in the playoffs as a wild card team. Tampa looks solid. Um, and then Seattle, you know, where they were my dark horse pick at the beginning of the year to make some noise. I think that's going to be uh, certainly possible because Seattle is the final wildcard team uh, as of right now. But they are five games clear of the Baltimore Orioles, who are 76 and 71. Uh, I don't think Baltimore is going to make up uh, five games over their next 12 uh, to 15, especially not when Seattle and Tampa and Toronto keep playing as well as they do. Uh, I, I don't see Baltimore making the playoffs. I think they're running out of gas. It's a great Cinderella story this year, but I think they're running out of gas. And then the Chicago White Sox are five and a half games out of that wild card, that final wild card spot. They're not making that up either. The Chicago's ticket to the playoffs is going to be to win the American League Central, but they're still four and a half games back of the Guardians. So um, I'd be willing to bet they probably play each other at least once more uh, and that could determine who wins the division. But um, Chicago might be on the outside looking in, all right? And then uh, the only other team that really needs to be mentioned, Minnesota Twins. They're eight and a half games back of the Mariners right now, three games back of the White Sox, right, who are five and a half games back of the Mariners. So same thing with Minnesota. Their, their ticket to uh, winning the division is to probably catch Cleveland, or the ticket to the playoffs is probably catch Cleveland for the division, but I don't see that happening. You can probably scratch off Minnesota, and you can definitely scratch off the Boston Red Sox uh, nine games back of Seattle. So the American League, uh, I, I believe it's going to probably end how it looks now with Houston, New York, Cleveland, Toronto, Tampa Bay, and Seattle as your six playoff teams there in the American League. National League is definitely subject to change, as we talked about, so... Uh, we will check back in next week and uh, see how it looks. It's definitely going to be another exciting week of, uh, of baseball as we wrap up the season here. So uh, we'll take a look next week and see if we have any more clarity in the National League. But we'll move on to our segment called Around the Island. That's where we do some quick news topics from across the various sports. Uh, it is not a very heavy Around the Island segment this week. Uh, not really a whole lot to get into that we haven't already discussed. So uh, mainly some news out of the National Hockey League, which is where we'll start. Uh, we had one big re-signing of a contract, and that was the Colorado Avalanche. They have re-signed uh, their all-star forward, best player on their team, uh, Nathan McKinnon, 
re-signed him to an eight-year, $100.8 million contract extension. That's 12.6 average annual value, and it is the richest deal ever signed uh, in the NHL salary cap era. So uh, he was the number one overall pick uh, several years ago, and, of course, he helped lead Colorado to the Stanley Cup championship this year. So um, he's still young in his prime, and he is going to be in Colorado for the next eight years. So uh, that is massive money, a huge cap hit there for Colorado, but uh, he was obviously a must-sign coming off of their championship uh, winning season. Now, the only trade of note uh, involved my Dallas Stars and the New York Rangers. Okay, The Dallas Stars acquired defenseman Nils Lundqvist, from the New York Rangers in exchange for a conditional first-round pick in the 2023 draft and a conditional fourth-round pick in the 2024 draft, all right? Um, at first, I didn't know who Nils Lundqvist is, but I, I looked him up. He's 22 years old. Uh, he's from Sweden, and he was actually uh, the Rangers' first-round pick back in 2018. So um, he's a good young defenseman. Uh, the Stars uh, have a knack for drafting Swedish and Finnish defensemen, so they went out and acquired one. Uh, I think he just needed a change of scenery from New York, really wasn't given a, a huge chance, but I think he'll certainly have that here in Dallas. So I'm excited to see what he can do. Uh, they spent a first-round draft pick on him, so I would almost uh, guarantee that he makes the opening night roster, assuming that he performs all right in uh, training camp which, by the way, NHL training camps uh, are getting underway here. We are a little less than a month away from the start of the NHL's regular season. I think it's about 25 or so days until our first game of the year. So uh, we'll certainly have more on that, a little preview as we get closer. But um, we did have a slew of retirements in the NHL this past week, three of them. Uh, three noteworthy retirements. All three of them were defensemen, uh, long-time defensemen. Uh, the first one that retired was Zdeno Chara. All right, he retired after 24 seasons in the NHL. Uh, he's you know that puts him at 45 years old, I believe, 43, 45. Uh, one, he's probably the oldest player in the league. He played in 1,680 career games recorded 680 points. Uh, he won a Stanley Cup with the Boston Bruins, and uh, during his time in the NHL, he played, of course, with Boston, the New York Islanders, and the Washington Capitals. The thing of note with Zdeno Chara is that he is the tallest player to ever play in the National Hockey League at 6 feet 9 inches tall. Add skates, and he's 7 feet tall on skates, so he's the tallest player ever in NHL history, so he retired. Um, the second defenseman that retired was Keith Yandel. He retired after 16 seasons. He played for the Philadelphia Flyers, Arizona Coyotes, New York Rangers, and Florida Panthers. Now, he's he played in uh, 1,109 career games. All right, Now, Keith Yandel's most known for his Ironman streak. He played in 989 consecutive games. Uh, before being a healthy scratch this past year in Philadelphia. And that was kind of controversial at the time. But basically what I'm telling you is that Keith Yandel's played in just about 1,100 career games, and almost 1,000 of those were consecutive. So this dude did not miss any time for any reason. Uh, he played through injuries. He played through illness. Uh, one of the most consistent and available players the league has ever seen. So uh, pretty impressive stuff there from Keith Yandel. And then the last guy, probably the most recognizable uh, defenseman uh, out of this group that retired was P.K. Subban. He retired after just 13 seasons, played the fewest out of those three, uh, played for the Montreal Canadiens, uh, the Nashville Predators, was pretty successful with the Predators, had some good years, good runs in the playoffs, and then most recently the New Jersey Devils, all right, and he had... Uh, 467 points in 834 career games. Uh, did not win the Stanley Cup, but he did win the Norris Trophy back in 2013 as the league's top defenseman. 
And he also won a gold medal with Team Canada in the 2014 Winter Olympics. So uh, he has now gone the broadcasting route. Uh, you can see him, I uh, forget what network, maybe, um, well, I'm not sure. He, But he's he's been on broadcast crew basically the last, uh, I think it's ESPN actually. I'm pretty sure he's an ESPN hockey analyst. So I think that's probably what he's going to be doing full time. And then uh, we'll finish up around the island here in the NBA. There's only one small piece of NBA news, and that deals with a free agent signing. It's actually a re-signing. Uh, Dennis Schroeder re-signed a one-year, $2.6 million deal with the Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, so he is going to stay in Los Angeles. Um, but that's that's it. That's going to wrap up the 91st episode of the Sports Island podcast. Uh, it was a jam-packed episode, a lot of football talk. Um, certainly going to have more of that next week. Um, got lots of exciting football coming at you this week. Again, college football, we have three games in which both teams are inside the top 25. Uh, so we'll have a lot, uh, lot to talk about with the rankings next week. And then the NFL obviously never, never fails to disappoint in the National Football League. And... Uh, I'm most interested this weekend in watching the President's Cup. Uh, you know, golf, you know, we've we've had a couple weeks off, just had the first uh, tournament of the season last week. Uh, but this is not like a regular tournament, right? We discussed the format earlier. Uh, it's Team USA versus the international team. It's going to be fun, competitive, some high, high-level golf. And uh, hopefully Team USA comes out victorious. But we will certainly check back in on that next week. Thanks for listening to the Sports Island Podcast. Be sure and find it on Facebook at Sports Island Podcast. I'm Rick Mitchell, and I'll catch you next time right here on the Sports Island Podcast, which is available everywhere you listen to podcasts.